Good morning, greetings in Jesus' name to each of you this morning. It's a privilege for us to be able to gather together again to look into the Word, to worship the Lord. I again faced the dilemma of our Sunday school lessons overlapping with the series of messages I've been preaching from the Sermon on the Mount. And the passage that I'm ready to preach from was part of the text of our Sunday school lesson last week. And I thought maybe it would be good to try to allow a little bit of space in between our Sunday school lesson and looking more in depth at some of those passages. So I've chosen to preach on a little bit different subject this morning, although, again, I'm very much paralleling our Sunday school lesson. I've chosen this morning to share some thoughts on the subject of worship. Our lesson this morning dealt with several aspects of how we worship, things we do in worship. But I'd like to look at worship in a little bit broader sense, maybe. Uh, some thoughts, some things that have been uh, rolling around in my mind. So hopefully you'll forgive me for following up after our Sunday school lesson on worship with a message on the same subject. What is worship? Uh, we could ask that question and y'all might give several different answers. I went to a dictionary. This is from Merriam-Webster. One is reverence offered a divine being or supernatural power. Also, an act or of expressing such reverence. So, reverence to divine being or supernatural power. That would probably fall pretty much in line with how we normally uh, use the term worship. Second definition is a form of religious practice with its creed and ritual. So that would be talking about more of a service of what we do as a ritualistic uh, acts of worship when we come together, maybe. And third is extravagant respect or admiration for or devotion to an object of esteem. I'm going to read that one again. That and that and there really caught my attention. Extravagant respect or admiration for or devotion to an object of esteem. So that's saying that uh, worship is uh, anything that where we give a, a, an extravagant or extraordinary amount of respect or esteem to something. When we think of worship, our minds typically go to probably the first definition that I gave here, 
What we do when we come together at church to worship the Lord, what we're doing now, this morning in our service, or maybe your mind goes to time that you set aside from your day to read God's Word, to pray, to fellowship with Him, or time you take with your family to read God's Word, maybe sing some songs together in praising Him. You know, family worship at home. These are times that we stop our normal daily activities and give attention and devotion to God and give, give our worship to Him. We could call these our acts of worship. And so that's, that's worship, but worship is a much broader term than that. Our worship is much more than just those small amounts of time, you know, two hours here at church this morning, or 15 minutes, or 30 minutes, or 45 minutes, or whatever, that you might spend at home worshiping God on a regular basis. Worship is also something that can be directed to other things other than God. Somebody brought that up in our Sunday school class this morning. They asked the question of, uh, it was mentioned in the lesson about true worship, and they said that if there's true worship, that would also indicate that there's false worship or worship other than worship of God. Worship is something that God, or I should say not worship, but a desire to worship, is something that God has put within our hearts. We can see in people in general, in a variety of cultures around the world, different areas, that Everyone seems to find something to worship. For some, it's things in nature. We look at the ancient Egyptians. They worshipped the sun god and many others as well. But you know, things in nature, the sun, the moon, uh, whatever it may be in nature... For others, it may be false gods, you made up gods or spirits. For others, especially in the Eastern culture, it's the worship of ancestors. Uh, that's some of the Oriental cultures, that's a huge thing. Or maybe in our more modern societies, we see the worship of singers, performers, sports stars, actors. It can also be the worship of careers, money, 
prestige in self. Leyland gave the example in our Sunday school lesson of a lady who said that her God is self. People find something to adore, something to focus on, something that gives them purpose and drive in life, something to give their allegiance and devotion to. The last part of that definition, the third definition from Merriam-Webster was extravagant respect or admiration for or devotion to an object of esteem. So anything that we have a large amount of admiration and devotion to is something that we might just be worshiping. One indication of whether something is, is something a person is worshiping is how, if it controls my life, how much influence does something exert over my life? If I'm worshiping God, what he says is going to have a tremendous influence in how I live my life. If I'm from an Oriental culture and I'm worshiping ancestors, the respect for those ancestors and what they, uh, the example that they gave is going to have a tremendous influence in my life. And so what we worship controls and influences our life. Sometimes it may not be immediately evident what a person worships, but normally if you're around somebody very long, it comes out. A person's quick to talk about what's important to them, what consumes their thoughts. It, it, it comes out. Other times... It's more evident. We see people displaying clear evidence of what they worship. In our society, it's not uncommon to see people displaying what they worship on their clothing. It says right here. You meet them walking down the road or whatever, going through town, and it says right here on front of them. They're labeled what they worship. Others, you're driving down the road and it's on their back window or their bumper of their vehicle. It tells you a lot about that person and where their priorities are, just a little sticker. And I'm not saying that if you have a sticker on your bumper or your back window that you're worshiping that thing. But typically, these these things like that tell us a tremendous amount about what is in the heart of that person and what's driving their life, what their priorities are, what's taking up their time and attention. It's been said of the term worship that it can also be said worth-ship. In other words, 
what we worship is what we are attributing worth to. If I hold God and his word in high esteem and I give it much worth, I'm going to, it's, it's going to have high value in my life. I'm going to worship him. My illustration of, of the Oriental culture and ancestor worship. If, if that's where my heart is, if that's what I place worth on my heritage and my ancestors and, and believe that the spirits of my ancestors can work for my benefit, I'm going to place worth on that and I'm going to worship that thing. And so what I'm saying is that often what people are displaying through their clothing or their bumper stickers or whatever it might be reveals what they place worth in, what is highly valued in their life. So we're... God created us with a desire to worship something. We find, naturally, we find something to focus on, to put value in. And I believe that God programmed us, so to speak, to worship because God created mankind for the purpose of fellowshipping with him and worshiping him and bringing him honor and glory. So that's what God created Adam and Eve there in the Garden of Eden to do. Then sin entered into the world. And Satan has taken all things that God has created and corrupted and twisted them and made a counterfeit of his own making. We can see this in so many things in life. And I see this in worship. God created us with a desire to look to him and to bring him honor and glory. And Satan has taken that desire and twisted it and used it to drag us down to worship whatever else other than God. There's, he's given us many opportunities of things to focus on other than God. God has told us to worship only him. You can turn to this if you'd like, Exodus 20, verses 1 through 3. This is where we find the Ten Commandments. And this is, this is basic and familiar. We all learned this in Sunday school and summer Bible school and probably in first grade at our Christian day school and etc. 
Exodus 20, starting at verse 1. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. So there's God clearly commanding that you're to have no other gods. You're to worship nobody else. You're to give... You're not to give the honor and glory due my name to any other thing. And this commandment is repeated elsewhere. But as we look in the Old Testament, we see where the children of Israel did turn away from God time and again. They would start to except the idolatrous practices of the heathen nations around them. And what happened? Was it, was it good when they did that? Did they benefit by doing that? You know, they fit in with the people around them better. But no, they didn't benefit. We see that it took them down. They suffered punishment from God. God would allow uh, other nations to invade and and oppress them in an effort to turn them back to him. Whenever they turned away from, from their true worship of God. And so God calls us to worship only him. And we see there that God, when his people turn away, God brings things, maybe difficult things, to try to draw his people back to him. And we can see that throughout the history in the Bible of God calling people to worship him and bringing circumstances to bring people to him sending his son in the New Testament in an effort to reconcile and to bring people into a right relationship and a right way of worship with God. But it seems clear as we look at the record of history in God's word that those who worship something other than God Those who worship improperly are choosing to bring condemnation from God, to bring suffering and hardship upon themselves. We're commanded to worship God, but we're not compelled to worship Him. God has given us a free will, it's our free choice what we're going to worship. But in choosing, we choose the blessing of God or we choose the hardships and the curses that come with worshiping something other than God. In Romans 1, we're given a picture of those who have made the choice to go against better knowledge 
and to deny God and choose to worship something other than God the Creator. And I ask you to turn, if you'd like, to Romans chapter 1. We're going to read just a few verses here. There's a lot more in this chapter about this subject than what I'll read this morning. Romans 1, I'd like to start reading at verse 18 and read through verse 25. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools." And changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like like to corruptible man, into birds, into four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through their lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. It's a number of things we can see in these verses. First of all, in verses 19 and 20, we see that God has revealed himself through his creation. It says that we are without excuse as far as our knowledge of God. God has shown enough about himself through creation that we have no reason and no excuse to not believe in his existence. To not worship him for what we see in his creation. Now, his creation is clearly not a full revelation of God and who he is, and what he desires from each of us. But it's saying that there's enough there, that if we look at creation, we can see God, we can see his hand, we can see his handiwork, and the way everything works together. But in spite of that revelation, mankind has still many times determined to go his own way and worship something other than the Creator. What we see here is that God initiates himself, his revelation to us through the, crea- through, through the world, the creation, through his word we're blessed to have. But it's up to us to recognize and accept and believe that revelation. 
when we see the revelation of God, whether it's things we see in the creation or whether it's things we see through his word, it's up to us when we see those things to recognize and believe that revelation. And when we believe that revelation, we then face the responsibility of deciding what we're going to do with that information. We need to recognize that as we acknowledge God is the creator of the universe, the God of the Bible, who reveals himself in, in, in the, the word, that we have a responsibility to give him our allegiance and our worship. And I've had to wonder if that isn't why people go to such lengths at times to discredit the Bible, to discredit the creation account. Because they recognize that as soon as they accept that any of this is true, they have a, a, a responsibility to worship and to serve the Creator. God has to become their object of worship. So instead, they focus on material things, or as verse 25 says, it says they worship the creature or the created things rather than the Creator. We also see in these verses, in the verses that follow in the rest of the chapter, that those that follow, or that those who choose to reject God as their object of worship, have a path that is downward into sin and iniquity. Mankind's natural inclinations, apart from God, lead downward. They lead to ruin. And it's interesting to observe how that as our mainstream society and our culture rejects God and turns away from his principles they start to adopt practices that would have not too many years ago within pretty much within my lifetime would have been deemed to have been only to be seen in pagan cultures Think about in the last 20 to 30 years, some of the strange body piercings, ear stretchers, tattoos, crazy hair colors, crazy hairdos, etc. These things seem to have come about as society has become 
more and more ungodly, when they have ceased to place God as their object of worship, when they have ceased to place God's laws and principles as the guide of their life. And I believe that we'll see things continue to degrade in our society as long as God and his principles are not recognized and as long as he is not worshipped. So do we have to reject God completely to not worship him acceptably? To answer that question, I'd like to go back to the and think of the children of Israel and times in their history, like I mentioned earlier, where they mixed pagan practices with their worship of God. And at those times, it was clear God was not pleased with their mixing of worship of Him with worship of idols. King Solomon is an example of this. King Solomon is the one who built the magnificent temple in Jerusalem to God. But Solomon also married many foreign women. And Solomon built places of worship to their idolatrous gods there at Jerusalem. And God in Solomon's, the beginning of Solomon's reign, God was very pleased with Solomon. But in the end, he told him that because you have not followed me wholeheartedly, the kingdom is going to be divided. And after Solomon's death, the nation of Israel was divided, and there was much unrest, and the peace and prosperity of Solomon's reign was was gone. The people suffered because of not worshiping God wholeheartedly. Our memory verse that was quoted this morning from John 4:24, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So God must be worshipped in spirit, as in a spiritual nature from our heart. It can't be ritualistic. It has to be from within. And it also must be in truth, or according to the true revelation of God. We can never dictate how we are to worship God. Proper worship must be according to what he has revealed in his word. In other words, it's important for us to know God's word and to follow what he says in it. If we 
reject what God's word says or if we explain away things that are in his word that we don't want to obey, we aren't truly worshiping. Instead, we're really worshiping our own desires. Another thing that we see in the scripture about worship is found in Romans 12, verse 1. Again, a very familiar verse that probably most of us could quote. And I think that this points out the very essence of worship. How God wants us to worship. Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Here is a call to present ourselves, our bodies, to God as a living sacrifice. And this, this word says our reasonable service. This word service is translated in a number of other translations as worship. So this verse could be read, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of worship. So I think that's getting down to the very crux of the matter. What does it mean to to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to God? In my words, I'd say that it means to give ourselves completely to God in ready obedience ready to do whatever he reveals in his word, ready to do whatever he calls us to do through his spirit or through his church. It means that we say no to our fleshly desires when they're contrary to what God's will is. You know, we're commanded many times in the New Testament to crucify the flesh, to put to death our old sinful nature. That nature that we inherited from Adam, that nature of sin. And we do that when we offer ourselves as a sacrifice to God. And I believe that's the essence of worship, is giving up self to do what God asks. A complete surrender. Fully devoted to Him. You know, when we think of somebody we use, might use the term of somebody who is uh, infatuated with a some actor or singer or sports star that we could say you know they're they're worshiping them it's because they're devoted to that person they follow that person so do we have that kind of a devotion or stronger than that devotion to god does it affect does our relationship to god affect all of our life all of what we do 
True worship isn't a ritual that we perform. And it's not a service that we attend and participate in. And it isn't a time that we set aside to read our Bible each day. Those things are part of true worship. But true worship has to start in a heart surrendered to God. True worship is also lived out in our daily lives. There should be no mistaking to the people around us what we're worshiping, what our object of worship is. Because our lives, if we're truly worshiping God, our lives are going to reflect the one who we are worshiping. According to the old saying, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. In other words, we imitate, or our lives reflect, those whom we admire and respect. So if we're truly worshiping God, our lives are going to reflect Him, His Word. Going to reflect Christ's example. If our lives are demonstrating something other than what God lays out for us in His Word, we probably aren't truly worshiping Him. Because our lives will reflect our true object of worship. So in closing this morning, my challenge for us, for myself, is for us to consider what our lives are saying about what and who we're worshiping. And to remember that God is the only one who is truly worthy of our worship. So may we give him all of our worship every day of our lives. God bless you. May we have a song.